Oh my goodness, what the hell just happened? My name is Ian Monhe, and welcome to the fifth episode of Three Repeat Sports, formerly known as the AZ Sports Podcast. Welcome in. And in what was supposed to be a relatively boring NBA free agency, the league that has the most drama, it never seems to disappoint with giving us more entertainment, more drama. Kevin Durant has requested a trade. Kyrie Irving is expected to leave with him as well. Rudy Gobert is somehow a Minnesota Timberwolf, and then a lot more stuff has happened in this NBA offseason, so we're just going to jump into it. I'm not going to lie. I'm recording this on July 11th, and I was planning on recording once the Kevin Durant trade and Kyrie Irving trade went down. Kevin Durant requested a trade on June 30th, and I thought maybe within the next week or so, he would have been on a new team, and then a couple days later, Kyrie would have been on a new team. I was really banking on both of those guys being on new teams before I recorded my next episode, but it feels like this is just going to drag on forever and ever, so we're just going to record the episode now because a lot of stuff has happened, even with this Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving situation stalling the entire NBA landscape right now. And I guess we'll just start there. Kevin Durant has requested a trade. And right now there's two known teams that are on his list. Those two teams being the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat, which hilariously it's the two number one seeds of last season. And Kevin Durant, this you're, you wouldn't see this... You'll never see a big star like this, who's probably going to end up being a top 20. I'll, I'll give some leeway, top 30, and you can do the rankings, right? A top 30 player of all time that's just coming off of a 30-point-per-game season. You never see guys like this on the trade market, ever. And, and it's super... It's a super interesting situation. I really did think that once Kyrie Irving opted into his his contract that everything was going to be over the the Kevin Durant to Phoenix and Kyrie Irving to Los Angeles uh that bold prediction that I had on the draft show. I thought that was dead once he opted in. And then out of nowhere for me at least and I would assume for everybody else, he requests out and just simply put, I'm it, it. It's it's continuing. I'm just continuing beating the drum that this is just an organizational failure from top to bottom. It starts with uh, it's something with the management, right? This is a team that I guess you could tell from a distance they really miss that that young team that they had with D'Angelo Russell, Jarrett Allen, Karis LeVert, and Kenny Atkinson as the coach. I think the the management really misses that squad and just having good vibes, I guess you could say. And if you have the opportunity to add Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and eventually James Harden on your team, I would still give up that young core in order to get those three guys on a team. That's general like that's the the greatest team to have never achieved anything. Like, those are two, three of the best shot makers in the league. 
and the fact that they didn't last more than two seasons it's unfortunate right but how in the world are you gonna lose all three of those guys in a span of six months that's something that's unheard of never seen before and i think a lot of this the reason why the organization wants to move on has to do with the headache of Kyrie irving right he's had he has a big ego he is a a big personality that sticks to his guns he's a very stubborn player and as a person sticking to your guns it's pretty it's pretty good right but you're you're on a team you're on a team sport and some of the stuff you kind of do have to give up right and it it starts with the the headache that they had with the vaccination status now i'm not too too informed on that i really tried to stay away from that situation when that was going on but it definitely seems like that has something to do with uh, the reason why Brooklyn wants to move on. I also think that his injuries and his availability is a main reason why they would also want to move on. Each of the last three seasons, it ha- something is in the way of him playing games. It was, I believe it was a knee surgery in his first season with Brooklyn. Kevin Durant wasn't playing, so that was kind of a lost season regardless then the second season, uh, he takes multiple uh, leaves of absences, and he gets hurt in the divisional round, I believe. And he is out for the playoffs. They get eliminated second round. And then the whole COVID vaccination stuff went on, and he only played 29 games of last season. And it seems like he was a catalyst for James Harden leaving Brooklyn in the first place. Now that's on James Harden's decision, but it's very clear that some of their problems come from Kyrie Irving. And I think that Durant has had enough of that. And it's hilarious that we're on the verge of seeing all three of those guys leave a team. It, again, I'll just reiterate one more time. It's an organizational failure from top to bottom. Now, we could move to potential... Let's look at Kyrie Irving right now, right? It looks like he's expected to land with the Los Angeles Lakers, which would be in line with my bold prediction. It would have to do with, obviously, Russell Westbrook, who played very bad. (laughs) There's no other way to put it. He He didn't fit well with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And you would also assume draft compensation, maybe another player for Kyrie, and then maybe another player like Joe Harris, right? It's interesting from the Lakers' perspective, right? The Lakers attract big stars, and Kyrie Irving, when he's available and healthy, is a big-time star. And it's just a nice little box office story. It's, it's very good for PR. Kyrie Irving going to LA, the biggest, would you say the biggest market in, in the NBA? Quite possibly. And just the, the storyline, he's going back with LeBron James, who he won a title with. And it's, you know, it's easily marketable. 
I just don't know if, you know, L.A. made it a, especially the media, made it a big time story about how poorly Russell Westbrook fit with the Los Angeles Lakers last year. And yes, it was a very, it wasn't a seamless fit for Westbrook in Los Angeles, but they really made him out as a scapegoat. And yes, he had some issues, but man, it was really, it was getting really tiring to see Russell Westbrook continue to get slandered by the media. And he was just, you know, he does, he's not an off the court issue. You know, it's very clear that he didn't play very well. But if he's getting slandered for just not playing well, just imagine what stuff could possibly happen if Kyrie Irving is there, who, again, is is a stubborn player, stubborn person, and he attracts the most unwanted attention in the league. And at this stage, do I really think that he's going to, you know, stand his ground or just loosen up a little bit and and listen to LeBron James and win a title there. Like that's a bigger headache than I think a lot of other fans realize. He's a he's a guy that he's going to attract unwanted attention to the team and for Los Angeles who's coming off of a bad season last year that has this uh sense of urgency to bring back LeBron James in future seasons bringing in Kyrie is probably the one thing that's it's going to save LeBron. It's going to save the Lakers from keeping LeBron. If it doesn't happen, LeBron's going to leave. And if it happens, I would assume LeBron re-ups on a one plus one deal, a two-year deal with a player option in the second year, right? It's just not as the personality is just such an issue and him being in such a big market and you already had enough of a headache with Russell Westbrook, who all he did was play bad. Now, if you have somebody that's just a big-time off-the-court issue for L.A., after they already got rid of uh, a player that was causing them headaches, I can't imagine the headache that he would cause in L.A. It's a Talent-wise, you probably make the trade if you're L.A., but man, it is such an issue... It's going to be such an issue when you see Kyrie Irving take a, a leave of absence for multiple days and missing multiple games. It, it's a big risk. Good luck to Los Angeles whenever they do acquire Kyrie Irving. Uh, I think we could tie in the the Phoenix Suns, DeAndre Ayton, and Kevin Durant into one. It's going to be a pretty elaborate. It's going to be pretty long. So we'll see how the, how I'm going to try to keep this short, but knowing me, I'm not I'm going to keep this going forever. So it feels like DeAndre Ayton, the the former number 1 pick for the Phoenix Suns is headed to the Indiana Pacers. Nothing at this point at 10:58 on July 11th. Nothing has been confirmed whether they've sent an offer sheet or they're discussing a sign and trade. Nothing has been finalized at all. But all signs are pointing that he is going to end up as an Indiana Pacer. For the Phoenix Suns, you know, for me, it's going to be it's going to be super sad. I already have two of his jerseys, and the one uh, the Valley jersey that I have, it's DeAndre Ayton's, and now 
he's going to be gone and I don't know what to do with the jerseys. So, you know, I believed in this kid. I wanted to draft him over Luca. I wanted to draft him over Trey Young, which hindsight, yeah, it's it's probably a dumb decision. But I believed in this guy so much. And it's going to be sad to see him go. I think somehow, some way, you're going to have to include Indiana in some sort of multi-team deal to acquire Kevin Durant. At the end of the day, yes, he listed Miami on his list, but it's been made apparent that Kevin Durant is going to push his way to the Phoenix Suns. Excuse me. <laughs> He's going to push his way to the Phoenix Suns to come play with Devin Booker, to come play with Chris Paul, uh, be coached by Monty Williams. And as a Suns fan, it, it feels too good to be true, right? The, the Suns are never, they're never really a destination franchise for unrestricted free agents. A lot of the guys that the the Suns have had, you know, they're great players outside of uh, like Sean Marion, Amari Stoudemire, Devin Booker as like the main three that were drafted and developed in Phoenix. A lot of the other stars were acquired by by trade. Like uh, Charles Barkley was the main main one that I'm thinking of. Kevin Johnson, I believe Larry Nance. I could be wrong on that. Uh, they did the same thing with Joe Johnson. Did the same thing with Shaquille O'Neal, Jason Richardson, Vince Carter. You get the point. And like they have, they've had to trade for their star players. They don't attract them in free agency outside of Steve Nash in his second stint. So Phoenix, they they understand and they've known that Durant wants to come to Phoenix. And it really all hinges, uh, most of it hinges on this DeAndre Ayton situation. Supposedly the Nets aren't interested in him, which I find it very uh, contradicting. Remember before Kevin Durant requested a trade, there was a little uh, rumor floating around about a possible deal where Brooklyn was interested in DeAndre Ayton sending out like Joe Harris, Cam Thomas, maybe a pick for DeAndre Ayton. I think that they are interested in DeAndre Ayton, the player. I don't I don't think that they're interested in DeAndre Ayton and his potential contract because there's just a bunch of uh, CBA rules. There's a bunch of um, restrictions to what the Nets can do with their salary cap space if they acquire DeAndre Ayton via sign-and-trade. So there's a lot of complications to that. But the Phoenix Suns have to pounce on this. What it, it feels like they have the best offer, quote unquote. I've seen teams like Toronto be floated around, uh, teams like Boston, New Orleans, who clearly have better packages than the Phoenix Suns. I'll, I'll tell you that. But if that was the case, if you're telling us to watch out for those teams, the deal would have been done by now. Jalen Brown would be a Brooklyn net. Or Scotty Barnes would be a Brooklyn net. Brandon Ingram would be a Brooklyn net if that's the case. No, like there he's... The Nets are trying to send Durant to Phoenix while also getting back a fair package from some other team. It seems like this is going to be a multi-team deal. The Suns have to 
really they're really playing with fire right now they're almost daring the nets to say go find another better package and they're sitting tight on their package and mind you that strategy has worked with specifically the Kawhi Leonard trade to Toronto it took over a month before the Spurs lowered their asking price and they settled on a DeRozan Pirtle first round pick trade and that was the same offer that Toronto gave to San Antonio once he requested a trade so there's a possibility that that's what the Suns are trying to do but this is a dude that you know he wants to play in Phoenix he could easily just switch up the next day with in terms of teams that he's open to playing with and I'm on the I'm on the side of just get this trade over with so that free agency can get back on you can figure out how you could build out the rest of this team because a lot of the players that I would have liked to be on this team with a trio of Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, a lot of them are gone. And you're going to have to settle for uh, what the Lakers were doing last offseason, bringing in a bunch of minimum guys that were older, were experienced, but they would have a hard time playing on the floor. Phoenix has to get this done really quickly before he falls out of our he falls out of our hands. It seems like the Suns are pushing all their chips into the table in order to acquire Kevin Durant. I don't think that they would have paused their entire offseason. Like you could take a look at a team like Toronto, who's brought back a bunch of rotation players like Chris Boucher, uh Thaddeus Young, they brought in Otto Porter. They seem prepared either way. If they acquire Kevin Durant, that's good. But they brought in a bunch of guys that will play in their rotation playoffs. Same with the Miami Heat, bringing back Victor Oladipo. Uh, they brought back Dwayne Dedman. They brought back Caleb Martin to fill out the rotation for their, you know, they filled out their rotation for their playoff uh, run next year. Sure, they have players that they could trade away for Kevin Durant, but it seems like they're prepared either way. The Suns have made some signings, right? Bringing in Bismack Biombo, bringing in Josh Akogi, Damian Lee, trading for Jock Landale. Those are end of the bench. You never see those guys in the playoff rotations ever. Josh Akogi wasn't playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Bismack wasn't playing for the Suns last year. Jock Landale wasn't, I don't believe he was playing in the play-in game for the Spurs. And Damian Lee wasn't a rotation player for the Warriors last year. It seems like they're preparing and it seems like they know that they're going to get Durant. But I'm a little impatient. I kind of just want this to be over with just so I don't have to see the rumors flying around that the Suns could possibly be out of it. And I'll just end it by saying this. DeAndre Ayton is a player that you're supposed to re-sign. This is a number one overall pick, averaging 17 and 10, who is going, you know, you can't replace him. His production, maybe, but you can't 
replace his skill. He is so much more skilled than a lot of these other centers that you could possibly bring in. You're about to let him go, possibly for Miles Turner, possibly for Chris Dorte, possibly for Picks or Buddy Heald, or maybe you bring bring back nothing and just you know absorb Kevin Durant with cap space. I don't even know if that's possible. I don't think so. But you're about to lose probably your most important player in the playoffs last year, your second most important player in the second in the first run in order to have the opportunity to acquire Kevin Durant. You lose out on DeAndre Ayton, which is understandable if you're trying to acquire Kevin Durant. But if you lose out on Kevin Durant too, the Suns are no longer championship contenders. They they're probably contending for the plan at that point. The the team is already going to get worse with whoever the Suns get back for DeAndre Ayton from the Indiana Pacers. You know, in a perfect world, you use those assets to put in another trade to acquire Kevin Durant. You can't always bank on that. And if they bring back nothing, that trade is going to look even worse. It's boomer bust the, what the Suns are doing. It's the definition of a boomer bust offseason. And if they don't, for one, if they don't play their cards right, it's gonna. this is going to set back this franchise for a long time. But if they can't acquire Kevin Durant, and if they can't, at the very least, bring back DeAndre Ayton, this team is going to be a play-in contender, no longer championship contenders, and you could start ticking the clock for when Devin Booker will inevitably request a trade, given how comp- how incompetent the team will be without either of those two players. As I finish that last segment, I'm so happy that it only ended up being a 20-minute long segment. I thought I was going to ramble on about that for 40 minutes. <laughs> but we could move on to the rest of the offseason that, you know, the other moves that have happened. Jalen Brunson finally became a New York Nick, and I'll briefly touch on it since I talked about Jalen Brunson so much in the in the previous episode. The New York Knicks, you know, it makes a whole lot of sense why they traded out of the 11th pick, and they got back a lot of future picks. I don't know if they used one to, to trade for Durin, uh on draft night. I forgot if they did which one, which first round pick that they used. But end of the day, they got first round picks, multiple first round picks. And they got rid of Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks in a salary dump, which was surprising to me. I thought that those two players had really good value around the league, especially to contenders. But they salary dumped him, and that makes it a little bit more confusing. Then they bring in Jalen Brunson on a four-year, $104 million deal, which is $26 million a year, which is a very big overpay. And this is, just to keep it brief, Jalen Brunson, this is the first year that he played meaningful playoff rotation minutes, you know, let alone, you know, being a starter. He had some play legit playoff minutes in this year's playoffs, and he showed up. He played really well. But I think that at the end of the day, he's a six-foot point guard. Yes, he's a tough shot maker, and that's 
inevitably, that's what's going to keep him on the floor in potential playoff minutes. But for New York, if you're really trying to go far with Jalen Brunson as your point guard, I think you really need to hone in on bringing in a bunch of defensive specialists. Yes, they have uh, Mitchell Robinson as your rim protector. They have, for now, Cam Reddish as a really good uh, defensive prospect. I forgot if, I don't think Obi Toppin's a defender. I don't think Quickly's a defender. I don't think that team has any defenders. And let's just assume that they're trying to push for the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Brunson got played off the floor, and that's because he's going to be such a target at that point guard position. As we've seen over the years, like smaller point guards like himself, uh, CP3, they're going to get hunted. Isaiah Thomas, he's going to get hunted. Uh, I don't know why we would bring up Isaiah Thomas, but you get the point. Smaller guards are going to get punished on the defensive end, and he... I'm not saying build your team around Jalen Brunson for your starting point guard. I'm saying that if you want him to be your starting point guard of the future, bring in better defensive specialists that will hide Jalen Brunson on the defensive end, kind of like how uh, Dallas did in this year's playoffs. Their their team defense with Finney Smith, Reggie Bullock, uh, Maxi Kleba really did a good job hiding Brunson's defensive uh, deficiencies. If that's, if again, one more time, if you want him to be your starting point guard on a playoff roster, you need better defensive personnel. That's all I'll say about that. And I think I want to go to one more interesting team before I talk about this Rudy Gobert stuff, which I quite frankly forgot. The Dallas Mavericks are weirdly like a loser in this offseason. And it's, I think that a lot of it hinges on Jalen Brunson, but we may as well talk about the Christian Wood trade first. I don't think I even mentioned that. I don't remember mentioning that in any of my past episodes, but Christian Wood got traded for no rotation, playoff rotation players, and then the 26th pick in the draft. I think it was like Sterling Brown, Marquise Chris, Boban Marjanovic, and Trey Burke going to Houston. And I get it. Like This is a, a player, offensively speaking, who fits in really well with Dallas. You know, as a small ball, 4-5, stretch big, as an 18-10 and 10 guy. And if, he, he, if he's able to have some sort of defensive presence anywhere, he'd be a borderline all-star level player. And it's, it's a good move to acquire a rotation guy, a legit rotation guy, without giving up any of your key playoff rotation players. It's just defensively, he's a horrific, like there's no defense in his game whatsoever. And who knows, like, you know, he was on a bad team in Detroit and in Houston for the last couple of years. Maybe he, you know, being on a bad team really didn't give him a, a boost defensively, right? And maybe that'll work out with Jason Kidd, but defensively, he's he's going to have to work really fucking hard. Excuse my language. He's going to have to work really hard to play himself into playoff rotation uh, minutes. He needs Reggie Bullock, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. He needs those guys to really hide him, like how they hid Jalen Brunson. And as a bigger guy, 
he's probably going to get targeted just as much. But then they lose Jalen Brunson, not to their fault. New York absolutely tampered. Uh, they they went crazy on the tampering, which they're absolutely going to lose a pick for. But I think him and his shot making ability, it real like Jalen Brunson and the Dallas Mavericks were a per, are a perfect fit. Yet the defensive personnel is there for for Jalen Brunson to be hid, while he has enough room to create his own shot when maybe Luca's off the floor, and when Luca's on the floor, he's a really good off ball player. I think that he was so instrumental to what Dallas was doing and they lose him and that's going to be tough, right? Like their other ball handler is Spencer Dinwiddie, who, yes, he came up big in the games where it mattered the most, uh, specifically game seven of the, the Phoenix series. He He's just really inefficient. He, he's been really inefficient uh, during his time uh last season and in the playoffs yes he shot 20 points per game uh i would say less than 20 points per game i think that's a little bit of a stretch but he he really shot it poorly he came up big in some moments but you can't rely on streakiness uh at your guard position especially when you're trying to find another uh ball handler to release release some of the pressure off of luca as a ball handler and I'm not sure how many players, uh, at least star players, are really wanting to play for Luka. Just considering his, uh, yes, he passes the ball a lot, but his usage rate and how ball dominant he needs to be. It's ridiculous how much he needs the ball in his hands. And I think that, you know, Jalen Brunson seeing what he did in that first round, uh, majority of that first round while Luka was out, it makes sense why he wanted to get himself a bigger role somewhere else. But when you look at look at Dallas and what personnel that they have, they have to do something at that ball handler position, whether that be like, you know, I would throw out Kyrie Irving out there. It doesn't seem like they're interested in him, but as another ball handler and as a guy that can just score, like how Jalen Brunson, you know, he was just able to just score. Uh, Kyrie Irving would be a, like a really nice fit next to next to Luca, but it doesn't feel like it's gonna that's gonna happen at all. They brought in Javale McGee to be their starting center, which is just you know he's an older version of Dwight Powell. <laughs> just uh, you know, I think Javale has kept a lot of his athleticism he's a he has a long arm so that's gonna really make him a threat on on both ends as a lob threat as a shot blocker right it's just a much larger contract than i thought that he would get especially as a 34 about to turn 35 year old and good for javel like honestly like he did so well in phoenix he he get he gets a lot of security on that contract and you know bravo to javel mcgee i hope he does well it's just a really peculiar, very strange signing to make after you lose your second most important player on the team. And it doesn't feel like they're, again, they're not going to go after Kyrie. I think another plausible ball handler for them would be a guy like Dennis Schroeder, but is he, I don't see that happening either. But, you know, it's, 
it's going to be tough for Dallas to uh, really match what Jalen Brunson brought to them. And I think, I think they'll be good. I think that again, yeah, they, they'll be good, but I don't think that they, they elevated themselves to a championship level yet with Luca. I think you'll, you'll always have a chance, but if you want to be legit perennial contenders, get better players you have sizable contracts you have younger ish guys like josh green uh who else would be count as a young player i'm trying to think christian wood maybe then you have larger contracts like kleba tim hardaway jr uh finney smith bullock you know you have contracts to improve the roster but you know it's gonna it's tough (laughs) they're gonna they're going to really miss Jalen Brunson. And that's all I'll say about the Dallas Mavericks. Now we can move over to the the biggest move of the offseason so far. One that really caught me off guard. It was Rudy Gobert being traded from Utah to Minnesota. And he's going to be the starting center while allowing Carl Anthony Towns to slide to the four spot. A really large trade. It was... Malik Beasley, it was Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, the the rookie that they just drafted, Walker Kessler, Leandro Balmaro, who doesn't really play. He he just came in from from Europe. Then three unprotected future first round picks, and then a top five protected first round pick in twenty twenty nine. Wow, like that's <laughs> holy overpay. I think that is exciting for for Minnesota. You know, again, they're not a destination franchise. As a matter of fact, I think they're the smallest market in the NBA. Uh, that's a, that's a stretch. They're one of the smallest markets in the NBA period, and it's going to be hard for them to make big improvements to their roster uh, through free agency. You know, they brought in Kyle Anderson, nice player, not moving the needle, right? Uh, Torian Prince, they re-signed. He was a good 3 and D guy last year, but he's not, you know, an integral part to this team, right? So whatever move they were going to make to add to Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, I thought maybe get an upgrade at point guard. You know, if you were going to trade that very many first-round picks, maybe trade them for DeJounte Murray and include D'Angelo Russell. But I think it's pretty cool that they were able to keep D'Angelo um at that point guard position and getting Rudy who's going to be a good defensive he's he's already one of the best defensive players dare i say one of the best defensive players ever i think that in minnesota you know minnesota got rid of their two best defenders <laughs> they got rid of Patrick Beverly we all know how good of a defensive player he is and Jared Vanderbilt who's really gone under the radar but I think that's a really big loss for for Minnesota. I think that they're really relying on the the development of Jaden McDaniels, who has really come on nicely. I preferred Vanderbilt over him for at least last season. But he's a nice player to try to develop for Minnesota. You bring in Kyle Anderson, a fine. He's a slow, but he's a fine defender. Torian Prince is a good defender. I think a lot of this is going to have to hinder on 
Anthony Edwards' defensive development. I think that if, you know, Rudy Gobert was surrounded by Donovan Mitchell, who was supposed to be a good defender, hasn't really shown that uh, as of late. Same with Mike Conley, who's aging. Royce O'Neal was probably uh, the best, the second best defender on that Jazz team. Uh, there was also Bogdanovich, Clarkson, uh, Hassan Whiteside last year, Rudy Gay. You know, he was made the scapegoat because he is, you know, one of the best defensive players in the league. You know, he's going to be made the scapegoat anywhere he goes because of how big of a defensive presence he is. And I thought that whichever team that Rudy Gobert goes to, you better have really good defensive personnel. Because if you don't have really good defensive personnel, he's going to get played off the court. And who knows if they're going to use him offensively because I really don't know how he'll be used on the offensive end for Minnesota. I think I would assume more so as like a rim runner, a lob threat, because he doesn't have any offensive creation. But you got rid of your two best defenders uh, who would have fit really nicely next to Gobert. And now it's it's Torian Prince, it's Kyle Anderson, quite possibly Anthony Edwards. Everybody else, uh, they're not very, they're average at best. And I think that's the same situation that uh, Utah had when they had Rudy Gobert for the last nine years. And I think that this should be a point of emphasis for Minnesota right now. They got, they overpaid, they overpaid to get, uh, Rudy Gobert. There's no denying that. But if you really are trying to take this next step, like how everybody is assuming that you're trying to do, you got to really invest in some of these other defensive guards or these other uh, defensive wings. Because again, the wings that you have, they're fine defensive players. But I don't think those guys should be your second uh, best defenders at all. Until Anthony Edwards improves a little bit more, which I'll applaud him. You know he's get, he's really improved on that defensive end, but he you know he's got to take another step in order to make this Rudy Gobert trade, uh, in order to make Rudy Gobert a playable player in the playoffs. You know maybe go after a guy like Dennis Schroeder, who uh, right now I don't have the the free agency list up. But that's the first one that came to mind. Yes, he's a smaller guard that he could come off the bench, but he's always had a long arm. I don't think he's small. I don't know. But I know that he has long arms, and he gets a lot of steals. You know, maybe not uh, the greatest defender, but, you know, he'd really help out. If you just add more defensive personnel to that Minnesota team, they could be really damn good. And then we could go to Utah, and I th- they, they just got to blow it up at that point. They just saw how good of an offer they got for for Rudy Gobert, who's who's not worth four first-round picks and five players. And if you're really trying to retool around Donovan Mitchell, that's not the trade you make at all. <laughs> like Donovan Mitchell should want out. And he probably does want out, but is going to give them one more shot before he inevitably asks out. <clears throat> and I also think that a majority of this 
uh, I won't say a majority, but I think their reluctance to trade Donovan Mitchell stems from the fact that they're hosting Salt Lake City is hosting the All-Star Weekend next year. And they want to have some marketable player in their city before, you know, they cut ties. But you can't lie, you know, as much as I hate it for a guy like Donovan Mitchell who who should be wanting to win in Utah and I want him to win in Utah, stay in Utah, this trade doesn't really give me a lot of good hopes that he will be uh, staying in there for the long term. You can't deny four first-round picks, though. You could do a lot with four first-round picks, the expirings that you have, the larger contracts that you have. You have young players like Kessler. Um, who is the other guy? Javich Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, if you want to include Balmaro, they also have Nikhil Alexander-Walker. They have sizable contracts. They have decent, not good, but decent young players. If they wanted to really retool, I think that they really have to act with a sense of urgency because this is a dude that really needs to put his name out there. I don't think that he'll be able to do that in Utah. He should want out. He's probably requested out. But if Utah wants to keep him, you utilize those picks and you utilize those players right now because he he very clearly wants to be heard. And if he's not going to be heard here, he's going to be heard somewhere like New York. Maybe Brooklyn. You know, maybe Utah wants to join in with Phoenix and, and Brooklyn. Just make a, make a mega blockbuster. And I guess we could look at some, you know, players that... The players that they got, Patrick Beverly, going to be a, a... Finally, they'll get a legit backup point guard who would have really helped Rudy Gobert, but, you know, that he's gone. Uh, Vanderbilt's a nice player to have. They have uh, Bogdanovich, who's on an expiring. Uh, they brought in Malik Beasley, who's a pretty good uh, six-man so far. He could be a starter next year, and I don't know how much trust I can put into that, but it, it's, it's a fine roster that is not going to keep Donovan Mitchell happy. And if that's your main goal, you use the assets now. Maybe you try to utilize everything to acquire Kevin Durant. Now, that's highly, highly unlikely, but be aggressive. You have these assets. There's absolutely more star players that are probably wanting out of their situations. And there's good players that are, you know, to be had for Utah. I know that they there is reported interest in DeAndre Ayton. That's not going to happen, but it's nice to know that they're trying to put their put their names out there, put their put their bids out for players uh, through free agency and via trade. But I really do expect that this domino really makes Utah think: What can we get in a Donovan Mitchell trade? That's my analysis of the Utah Jazz trading away. Rudy Gobert. And there was also some other moves that have went down. I believe the day after I recorded the episode with uh, Daniel, I believe DeJounte Murray got traded to the Atlanta Hawks. 
which uh, Daniel, you were wrong on that prediction. I think you owe me five bucks. But uh, I got the prediction right. DeJounte Murray is now an Atlanta Hawk. I believe it was Gallinari and four first-round picks. I believe three of those were unprotected. A lot of draft equity for San Antonio. Then they bought out Danilo Gallinari, who subsequently signed with the Boston Celtics on a two-year deal. And we'll get into Boston pretty soon. But, you know, that's a big trade. Like, DeJounte Murray is a first-time All-Star nearly averaged a triple-double uh, last year. Then they just punted on uh, trying to retool around DeJounte Murray, said, nope, let's get as many draft picks as we can to get uh, to pretty much tank. They, I keep forgetting, I believe his name is Victor Wembenyama. Uh, I believe he's from somewhere in Europe, and he's a seven-foot-three freak. I think, you know, you see how long this dude is. Like, he's he's going to be one of the... He's going to be one of the future faces of the NBA. You know, I think everybody unanimously agrees with that. And I think San Antonio, it, they're absolutely gearing up to, to tank. And if they do fall in the draft, they have the draft equity uh, from uh, Chicago, from... Atlanta, they have the picks in order to to move up if they do fall. But it's a, it's risky for San Antonio, right? Uh, maybe not with a guy like Greg Popovich, who's probably coaching his last season. But San Antonio is looking to to rebuild about around which whichever player that they draft next year. They had a they have, still have a pretty fine young roster. That I think that they're going to continue to blow up with guys like Devin Vassell, uh, Jakob Pertl. They're absolutely going to try to trade Josh Richardson, Doug McDermott. You know, sizable veteran contracts that I think a bunch of other contenders would be interested in. So, you know, it's definitely risky to put all your chips into the bag for getting a chance at drafting uh, Wembenyama. But I think that San Antonio, I you know, I, I really trust their process and I trust their development staff that, you know, really has done wonders, you know, when it comes to Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Ginobili, Tony Parker, Kawhi, a lot of these other young guys that they've done a pretty good job at developing, right? It's risky, but they get a lot of draft capital that I don't think any other team was going to be willing to give up. And I think they get younger. They they finally do what everybody was hoping that they would do, and that's finally pressing the rebuild button. For Atlanta, I don't know who's going to play off ball. I think, uh, I think that Atlanta wants to use Trey Young in that Steph Curry mold, you know, develop his off ball game a little bit more, allowing... DeJounte Murray to uh, be a little bit more of a facilitator. They still have John Collins. They still have Clint Capella. They still have a really competent roster after this. I think that they're going to be just fine. I believe, yeah, they brought in the two of the Holiday brothers, Aaron and Justin Holiday. They still have Bogdanovich. Uh, they still have Okongwu, uh, Mo Harkless, Collins, Hunter, they traded away Herder, which was an interesting move. Uh, that's how they got 
brought in Justin Holiday uh, from Sacramento. But it's a you know getting a first time All Star, getting a guy that averaged nearly a triple double, who will I don't I I really am gonna assume that Trey Young is gonna be a, the the off ball player in this sense to try they really view him in that Steph Curry role. But if you're able to, you know, the draft picks, I think they're fine with getting rid of. But also, you know, getting rid of uh, Gallinari, who was on a non-guaranteed deal. He was probably not going to play next year just due to his uh, imminent regression. Uh, You know, being an older player, an older vet in the league, who, you know, it's a really good addition. They could be trading John Collins. They could be trading Bogdanovich or Capella. But I think that it's a very fun. It's a good move if you're trying to, you know, raise your floor a little bit. I'm just not sure if it was if during this time when, you know, they just came off of a season where they got uh, they they had a pretty bad season until they had they went into the play in and then they made the playoffs. I'm not sure if right now. I think that if they were, if they made this move, you know, made some sort of big time trade, big time splash after they made the the conference finals, I would have been fine with it. But now that they do this, uh, after you know a really down season, it, it's it's gonna be interesting. That's all I'll say to that. I think it was a little too early to make an all-in move like that. If you're really trying to, if you're trying to see this out with everybody else, I think that it's only right if you make a move like that after you have a good season. And last year wasn't a good season. Hopefully, I think that Dejounte and Trey will work. Not sure how. I'm gonna go with my assumption that Trey is gonna play off ball. Pretty interesting trade, if you'd ask me. Bradley Beal, it was expected that he was going to resign on that big max contract. It was five years, two hundred fifty million. Uh, that so that's over fifty million a year, he, and he has a full, true no trade clause, which just makes everything so much more complicated. For one, you know, we heard Bradley Beal in one of his in- interviews say that his number one goal is that he wants to play somewhere where he can win. Obviously that was a that was not factual if you're returning to if you're returning to Washington who yes they made fine moves. They brought in Johnny Davis who I really like, but I think he's just more so a, a Bradley Beal replacement. They bring in Monte Morris and Will Barton, a move that I like. All they had to trade away was Caldwell Pope and Ish Smith. And I really like Will Barton and, and Monte Mar- Morris. They still have Porzingis and a n- number of wings and uh, front court players that they've uh, acquired over the last two, three years. So I think if you're going to trying to go to a winning situation, that's not a winning situation at all. Then the Wizards overpay him. After he suffers a wrist injury, after he suffers a down season last year, and if you were, you know, they really should have traded him much, like way before everything 
was starting to fall apart for Washington. Like you at the peak of his value was probably once he averaged 30 points a game. That was when Washington should have said, all right, let's trade him away and let's try to reset everything. They don't do that. So whenever you were, if you were going to sign and trade him or trade him somewhere else uh, this offseason, it, it was definitely a low value, but you just decrease the value so much more by giving him a bloated contract who's going to take up at least 30% of your cap space. Now you can't get back a good package unless it's you know, a bloated contract for a bloated contract type of trade. And yet the fact that he has a full no trade cause and he gets to dictate where he gets to go when he inevitably requests a trade from Washington, nobody's going to want to have, you know, you can make the case that he's not a top 30 NBA player in the league. And if you're really debating if he's a top 30 NBA player, you probably shouldn't give that guy 50 million and a full no trade clause. And what team was going to want to to trade for a guy who's on that big of a contract one? I don't think any team is going to want him, especially if he's, you know, you know, depending on your rankings, you probably you definitely don't want him at that $50 million a year range. And he has a trade kicker, so whatever team acquires him is going to be paying him a lot, a little bit more than uh, what Washington will. So, like this is, it's a stupid contract. It's a stupid decision uh, by Washington. They should have traded him much earlier when he was at the peak of his value. Now, when he does requests out, and once they realize they can't really build around Bradley Beal for the next five years then it's going to be so much harder to trade him because at that point, Bradley Beal dictates it. So Washington is going to be stuck in purgatory for quite some time. And I hope, you know, Johnny Davis develops, you know, like that. I hope Rui Hashimura turns into the the second coming of, uh, what would be a good one? Carmelo Anthony, right? Like it's all hopeful at this point. Everything that Washington has showed me is incompetency, uh, it shows uh, a lack of future outlook and future process. It's not, this is a bad decision for both sides, for their circumstances. Now, I'm trying to remember other trades. Malcolm Brogdon, he got traded to Boston, which was, I, I, th- I really thought that he would go to Washington after the de- uh, the draft, I'm like, okay, that's probably not going to happen. So where would he go? And I've seen it on Bleacher Report, you know, the the writers that have came up with trade ideas and ideal trade partners and players to target. And I've seen Malcolm Brogdon on Boston multiple times. I'm like, okay, how is that going to happen? They somehow made it happen with a pretty good. It was a pretty good trade for Boston, right? It was it was five players in a first round pick. But it was Daniel Tice who, you know, he's on his third team in a, about a year from Houston, then back to Boston. Now he's going to Indiana, who's on a pretty big contract, a bigger contract than any other team would have liked. Uh, Aaron Nesmith, who's probably like the, the main piece in that trade. Uh, he was drafted, 
I believe he was the last pick in the lottery in 2020. Supposed to be a good shooter. Hasn't really shown that, uh, especially in Boston. But I think that, you know, Indiana, given their their youth movement uh, with Halliburton, with uh, Ben Matherin, who's, who's going to be awesome in Indiana, uh, possibly DeAndre Ayton, uh, Chris Dorte, like they have a really nice, nice core. And maybe they think that uh, Nesmith has some uh, potential to improve. And then three other filler players, which I think was like Nick Stauskis and a couple other Malik Fitz. I, th- I can't remember the uh, Hauser. I believe it was Sam Hauser. That's nuts that I got. I, I don't have any notes in front of me. I'm just talking freely. I, I, I really hope I got that right. And then a first rounder. But, you know, for Indiana, I think that they were just really trying to get off of him. He was on a, he's on a relatively sizable contract. Uh, they just extended him last year. He's a guy that has a hard time staying healthy. And he's already a, a pretty slow point guard, to say the least. And, you know, he's if he keeps stockpiling the injuries, he's just going to continue to get slower and regress a little bit faster than people would like. But for Boston, it's it's a great trade. That like that's a tr- uh, he has better true point guard skills than Marcus Smart does. I think that Brogdon is a better ball handler, a better passer, uh, probably the same uh, skill level as Smart as a shooter. And I think that they imagine Malcolm Brogdon as the sixth man, which is a uh, it's interesting. I think that he's good enough to start on any team and, you know, a guy, you know, either way, if you're going to be putting Brogdon on the bench or Marcus Smart on the bench as your six man, you know, they both have sizable contracts. Same with Derek White, who's going to be coming off the bench. But that really does uh, improve that team in in the playmaking department. It was clear in the finals that they didn't have, you know, the lack of a true point guard a true playmaker really hurt this team because not a lot of that, not a lot of the guards specifically, you know, guys like Jalen Brown, guys like Marcus Smart, they don't have as tight of a handle as you would like from your backcourt. And Brogdon can do just that. And I would prefer to start him, but I think that it's, it's a good player to have that really improves at what was a sticking point last year. They also bring in Gallinari uh, on a two-year, I believe it was like a $13 million contract with uh, option in the second year. It's a fine signing, right? Like he's a good three-point shooter, uh, catch-and-shoot guy, spot up. I think that's all he really brings. Like his athleticism is uh, really, you know, he didn't really have much athleticism to begin with, but it's definitely diminishing as the years go on. He's, I think he's like 33, 34. Uh, I think that, you know, defensively, he's going to be a huge liability. How much is he going to play in the playoffs for them? If he could, you know, he, given the personnel, he might just, he might just be able to play on as a pretty good offensive, uh, scorer off the bench. You know, if you have Marcus Smart and Rob Williams, Al Horford, if you have guys that can hide him on defense, I think that he could be a legit asset in the playoffs. 
So I think that these are two good moves that, you know, Malcolm Brogdon fits everything that uh, Boston is trying to fix up that really, really does elevate their their floor. Uh, they made the finals last year, and that's that's their ceiling is, you know, finals champions. You know, they have a couple of years with this current core, with guys like Al Horford, guys like uh, Gallinari, and probably a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. I think he's going to be only there for this last year. So it's good on Boston's part to really make it a point to improve at your weaknesses. They keep a lot of their their core players. It's a very it's a very good offseason for the defending Eastern Conference champions. And then we could just end this episode with just a couple more signings that have gone down that I thought were really interesting. I think everybody's favorite basketball, like every basketball nerd's favorite free agent, dark horse free agent, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein signed a two-year, $16 million deal with the New York Knicks. They That's essentially the Netherlands Noel replacement. Good pickup. Like every, every basketball nerd likes this dude. He has the ability to stretch the floor, has good passing ability, has interesting defensive uh positives like he's a positive defender when he doesn't he seems like he shouldn't be a positive uh defender good pickup as a backup uh to mitchell robinson uh tj warren signed a minimum contract with the brooklyn nets which caught me off guard i think that if they were trying to uh run it back with Kyrie durant see what they have in ben simmons tj warren would have been nice but you could also think of it as um TJ Warren is there for opportunity, you know, when Durant and Kyrie Irving leaves and, you know, once he plays well and scores well with Brooklyn, he'll cash in on one more big contract before uh, he ends his prime. So I think that's a fine signing for uh, Brooklyn, Uh, Lonnie Walker somehow. And for some reason signed with the Los Angeles Lakers. Good pickup. It's a, it's a clutch client, the infamous clutch client. Uh, you know, they represent LeBron James. A lot of those uh, clutch clients end up uh, with LeBron on his team. A good young player. Like, this is reminiscent of the Malik Monk signing last year. And hopefully he shows something and he could cash in like how Monk did this year. And this year he signed with the uh, Sacramento Kings on a two-year, $19 million contract. Pretty good contract for Sacramento. And now, like, yes, I bagged, we all uh, bagged on Sacramento for taking Keegan Murray over Jaden Ivey. Keegan Murray, no need to overreact, but I, I think that in Summer League, it's it's the rationale that everybody is going to overreact over Summer League. Keegan Murray looks awesome. And, you know, Ke- again, Keegan Murray was my favorite player coming out of the draft class. I thought that he's going to, you know, he's going to be like this Pascal Siakam type of player where he knows where he's dominant at and he'll he'll stick to that. And you see the vision now with some of the guys that they're picking up. Keegan Murray is going to be nice at the four. They still have Harrison Barnes, De'Aaron Fox. Maybe Davion Mitchell takes another step and they could maybe cash in uh, De'Aaron Fox for some other other you know really good player 
They brought in Kevin Herter, a really good shooter, which really, really does fit with guys like De'Aaron and Sabonis who can't really stretch the floor like that. Malik Monk can also stretch the floor. It's just a very, this is a very smart signing. You could very much see uh, the vision with Sa- what Sacramento is trying to do with this team now with now led by De'Aaron Fox and Domantis Sabonis. And we could take a look at uh, the Portland Trailblazers bringing back our Anthony Simons on what I thought was a little bit of an overpay after one good year. Uh, when he had more opportunity, uh, four years, $100 million to re-sign with Portland. They also brought back Yusuf Nurkic on a four-year $70 million deal. Interesting moves, you know, that I think, you know, for a team that's trying to to contend with Damian Lillard for, you know, the duration of his contract. I think that, you know, running it back with the guys that, uh, you know, played a part in the team's uh, down seasons, especially in the last three, you know, it's not really smart, but, you know, if you want to try continuity, you know, Anthony Simons finally had a legit rotation spot and he played really well in the rotation. That's fair. And Yusuf Nurkic, when he's healthy, he's a, you know, a serviceable, like, you know, top half of the league center. 70 million is a little like oof, but for a 28 year old, I think that it's it's a little bit of like uh, that's a little weird, but I think that it's perfectly fine for Portland. Again, these moves don't take them to the championship status that Damian Lillard is wanting uh, in Portland, but I think that they're fine moves. They brought also brought in Gary Payton the second on a three year, 26 million dollar deal a good signing right like they don't have very good defenders we don't know how serviceable Shaden sharp is going to be at least for this year probably the next two or three years but you know you needed a defender uh, a good perimeter defender and he's one of the better ones you know maybe i think that is a good contract for a soon-to-be 30-year-old, which is something that not a lot of people take into account, that he's almost he's almost 30 years old. And I think that a three-year, 20-plus million dollar a year contract, I think that's a very reasonable contract. And, you know, it really rounds out the rotation that has Lillard, Simons, uh, Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic, along with guys like Gary Payton II, Nazir Little, Shaden Sharp, I would have loved for them to keep Eric Bledsoe off the bench, but I, you know, obviously that's not happening. Um, Drew Eubanks is a really like the, nobody knows who Drew Eubanks is. He played pretty well with San Antonio uh, for part of last season before he got traded to Toronto, waived, and he played pretty well in Portland. I think that you know it's a fine roster. Will it be a championship contender? No. Not at all, but I, it, it's a fine, it's a fine, it's a fine roster is what I'll say. And I think, you know, we could take a look at, I'm scrolling through the list now, John Wall. He's a Los Angeles Clipper signed two years, 13 million. And the Clippers do a really good job of bringing in these, uh, uh, not reclamation projects. Yeah, I would say re- a reclamation project. You know, bringing the guy back to his feet, you know, kind of like how they did with 
Nicholas Batum, like how they did. Uh, I'm trying to think through the list right now. I don't want to say Zubots at all. Reggie Jackson is a perfect example. And they bring in a guy that was, you know, a former all-star. You know, he's a former all-star. And the last time that he played, he was still a 20 and eight player. And I think that, you know, as the third option next to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, yes, he's able to score, but I think he's more so uh, pass first. And it's a good signing that really, you know, it doesn't really do much for me just the, just because, you know, I, I see the Clippers as the championship favorites next year. I'm really high on that team and just adding John Wall. Uh, it doesn't necessarily move me, but it definitely makes me think, you know, they're really making their case as the, the championship favorites, uh, especially in my book. And I guess I'll end off on one more signing that caught my eye, which was uh, Andre Drummond. <laughs> you know, it's weird that we're ending off the episode with Andre Drummond and the Chicago Bulls. They bring him in and, and Goran Dragic in. Two very interesting moves. Um, Andre Drummond is, you know, one of the best rebounders in the game. No defense whatsoever, which is something that I think Chicago really needs to continue to improve on. I think that's why they brought back Derek Jones Jr. And I think that's uh, that's not why they brought in Dragic. <laughs> you know, it's I think that they're just trying to create uh, more so like a really good offensive team to just outscore a bunch of these teams, just knowing that they don't have the cap space or the personnel to really guard up against guys like Giannis, um, guys like uh, Jimmy Butler. You know, know, Chicago has, you know, Vucevic, they have Caruso and Dosunmu, which makes the Dragic signing a little bit Weird, unless they think that Lonzo Ball is just gonna, you know, still be out with his meniscus uh, recovery, which again, that wouldn't be a good sign. It's interesting moves. I wonder what they plan on doing with with Dragic. You know, is Lonzo Ball all right? And Andre Drummond, I think that's a good. He's probably the best backup big in the league. Very good rebounder. Um, he's more so an offensive big man to come off the bench. And for two years, six million where the, you know, they didn't have a serviceful back backup big. Andre Drummond is one of the best in the game at that. So again, good signings by uh, a lot of these teams. Some of them, you know, will make you raise an eyebrow. But these were just some of the moves that have caught my eye. And hopefully the next time that I record, Kevin Durant is traded. Kyrie Irving is traded. Specifically, you know, Kevin Durant to the Suns. Kyrie Irving to the Lakers. And hopefully there's other signings that also catch my eye within the next uh, couple of weeks. And that is all I really have from the NBA stuff. I think that, yeah, I don't think I said this at the beginning of the episode. Um, I just wanted to tell a little little cool story. You know, I uh, the person that I had, the people that I had on the, the live show, uh, one of them, Carson, uh, he came out from Tennessee uh, to Arizona, and we all 
we all as in like his group of friends you know i met i met up with them at uh some house right and me and carson were just i don't know how the conversation came about but somehow we got to talk about podcasting and i told him uh, about who i get inspiration from in terms of this podcast and you know i'll let it be known right here you know i get my inspiration off of this podcast called strong opinion sports hosted that's hosted by zach Schaumler. you know that's my source of inspiration when it comes to making this podcast and i told him that he's like no way i have his contact right here and i think no way like that's crazy like he showed me pictures with him when Carson was in Hawaii. It was really cool. And he's like, do you want me to FaceTime him? Like, go ahead and, you know, give it a shot. And he ends up like the first time he we call him, he doesn't reply. The second time uh, when he responds, which was like at 11 at night, uh, he responds and I have like a cool one to two minute conversation with him. It's funny. It, Everybody that knows me and knows that I'm an introvert and a little, uh, just an introvert, just an introvert. Uh, same with, uh, same with, uh, Zach and, you know, that minute long conversation was definitely, uh, uh, it was definitely awkward to say the least. I was very flabbergasted and wasn't prepared for anything to say, but just want, I just wanted to share that, you know, that was a really cool story that really meant a lot to me. Uh, to see uh, the person that inspired me to make a podcast. And that's all I really have for, you know, for that story and for this episode. And again, I thank you guys for listening this far into the episode. Hopefully, again, Kevin Durant is a son. Kyrie Irving is a Los Angeles Laker. Uh, make sure to follow the TikTok at 3Pete Sports. Leave a five-star review. Uh, whether you're on Spotify, Google Podcast, or Apple Podcast, wherever you listen to this, go subscribe to the YouTube at 3 Pete Sports. Go follow my Twitter at Ian B. Monhe. And that's the end of this episode. And we are out.